This is Dr. Stephen Fales, author and producer of Talk From Doc, a podcast and project helping people cope with today's medical system. Today's podcast is simply a, a series of encounters, patients whose names will not be disclosed, of course. And I will start out today by talking about a patient I recently saw whose daughter had written me a long letter describing all of her mother's problems, her mother's problem with alcohol and uh, information about her pain control and her conditions and the fact that she wouldn't use her oxygen and many complaints, but she ended the letter saying, please don't let my mother know that I wrote to you. So when I saw the patient, the daughter was present, but apparently is intimidated and not willing to speak up, and so I would not disclose the information that she had written to me, of course. But this nice lady who has a severe kidney disease and is on dialysis is struggling with a problem uh, with the access port uh, point in her left arm uh, where the uh, vascular surgeon made a shunt for use by the dia- dialysis system. This, however, was a disaster because the shunt is not working and she has access port in her uh, right subclavian area and uh, is uh, suffering with severe pain and swelling in that arm. So she is uh, taking pain medicine for that, which she has received from another doctor up till now. And she is going to be seeing the vascular surgeon soon to see about having this uh, repaired. The uh, facts are, however, that this swelling indicates a severe problem with the venous return in her left arm and is very swollen and painful and I'm not sure that he can actually or anyone can actually uh, repair this damage but she her whole entire hope is that it can be repaired the point of this is that I often have advised my patients when they're going to see a specialist that they ask the two big questions question number one to ask the specialist in this case the vascular surgeon the question she needs to ask is what is the matter with my arm and hopefully she can get some sort of an uh, answer that she can understand the second part of the question and this is pretty generic this is what we all need to ask is can it be fixed or in other words what are we going to do about it in my opinion she needs to ask this question in order to for one thing know the truth and to be able to then uh, know better how to cope with it. If it can be repaired surgically, which I doubt, then she needs to know that. If not, then she needs to be uh, led to accept the fact that this is going to be a permanent condition. She's not going to lose her arm, but it's going to be permanently damaged and swollen. Uh, Then she will be able to better cope with it without the anxiety of constantly thinking that something can be done with it if, in fact, nothing can be done about it. This is a generally good idea for people no matter what their condition is. The two questions, what is the matter and what can be done about it? Well, let's move on to another case. Uh, gentleman and I just saw about his pain in his neck and needing a refill of his opiates. There's a good issue, opiates. So I usually review with him, is this medicine helping you? He says yes. I said, well where do you hurt the most? He said in his neck and his back, but his neck hurts the most. So he's uh, had the problem for quite a while. I'm asking him um, 
what did they say is wrong with your neck? He said, degenerative disc and arthritis. I said, okay, second question, uh, are they going to be able to fix it? He said, well, I don't think so, and so I just have to live with it. And I agreed with him in that we discussed the issue of surgery for neck and spine problems and the issue being that if you ask a doctor uh, orthopedist uh, neurosurgeon can you fix my neck of course unfortunately they cannot promise that it will be better and we discussed the issue of the bias that uh, of course surgeons uh, are paid well for doing their work and they deserve it uh, when the work is necessary but there's always the temptation to do surgery when it may not be necessarily in the patient's best interest which is actually a very grave problem that we face in the profession. Uh, conflicts of interest is found uh, in all of our lives but for a doctor uh, having conflict of interest is uh, undermines the trust that the public should be able to put into uh, their physicians, uh, the trust that is given by the state medical board in issuing licenses. It's uh, the ethics are such that uh, you know one should do no harm and be uh, honest and have integrity in all in all things. So uh, an honest surgeon would of course have to say in regards to Mr. H here that uh, he cannot promise that he could fix the problem and knowing that it is a degenerative disc and arthritis uh, uh, certainly surgery is not indicated. As his uh, primary care physician, his family doctor, I am the one that would be prescribing the pain medication. The surgeon certainly would not get into that. I would uh, simply decide he's going to do surgery or not. If not, uh, back surgeons and spine surgeons and so on do not treat the pain. That's back in the care, care of the uh, uh, internist or family doctor. So therefore, uh, I will continue to give him his opiate. I could decline him his opiate. Uh, it's very, I have many patients with necks that are probably worse than his that are living without opiates. But once they get on them, it's very hard to get them off and uh, and you'll make a lot of enemies by taking people off of opiates even though there's uh, an outcry from the government and other sources that there are too many opiates being used. Uh, I have followed the admonition that I was given by the State Pharmacy Board many years ago that I should uh, <coughs> strive to relieve people's pain and suffering and to not give them the medicines that are uh, reasonable because I'm afraid of using opiates, uh, what they call doctor having opiate phobia, I think would be a, um, uh, a shirking of my responsibility. So I have to carry some of that on my own shoulders, the responsibility I have in using medicines that might be controversial, but he is functioning well and so uh, having discussed the issue of what is his problem and what can be done, it seems that nothing else can be done and we will continue his monthly opiate prescription. 
Well, Mr. K is a nice guy. I just saw him, 72 years old. He looks a lot older than me, but I'm blessed, because partly because I exercise, I think. Anyway, he's got heart trouble, diabetes, high blood pressure. Came in to review his lab work. And actually, his lab work looks pretty good. His diabetes isn't completely controlled, but that he, we don't need to change his medicine. He basically needs to lose weight, but we discuss this every time he comes in. And um, it just, uh, you know, it's just the hunger and the self-control is the problem that we all face. And discuss that again, and it basically only so much I can do to help him with that. He has to have a strong desire to do that. But uh, his main issue today and his question is what happened to Riva? Riva has been my medical assistant for over 35 years and I had to tell him the sad truth that the company that I work for is a huge insurance company and they are an oligarchy, I would say, in that there's a few people make all the decisions. And a few weeks ago, they discharged my long-term friend and loyal MA after all those years without consulting me or uh, seeking my counsel as to who would be my MA. It has really jilted me and brought me to the reality, just like many of my patients, that the uh, whole insurance industry is based on money, has really nothing to do with good patient care or really caring about people, and they certainly don't care ab anything about me or my MAs. So that's part of my efforts in Talk From Doc is helping us all to cope with the healthcare system and the um, realities of insurance companies having the, all the power because they have the checkbook. They have the money, and um, I, of course, could go elsewhere. I could try starting my own practice again, but I know that uh, that would be extremely difficult when everyone else insurance and uh, all the overhead and all the electronic record-keeping and all those factors. So uh, they, I let them control me, and, of course, the patients let themselves be controlled because... They don't want to pay for their health care out of their own pocket. And so whoever has the checkbook, whoever pays the bill, makes the rules and has lots of power. He'll continue his same medications. He said he misses uh, her very much. And I as do most of my patients and as I do. But uh, I'm checking with her on that, how she's doing. And I will continue to try to help these people. Next, I'll tell you, it was good to see Mrs. G.B. Brown today. I've seen her many times over the last 20 or 30 years. We have something in common. She loves horses and so do I. I'm not quite sure what kind she has, but she did visit me at the ranch one time. And, but she keeps getting hurt. Usually it's around the horses or something. She's broken a lot of bones. And, and her husband's a nice guy, but he's a quite a bit, seems a lot older than her. And uh, she has brought him to me so I can help him out. He's used to going to UCLA and... John Wayne Hospital and has a lot of specialists down there but of course that doesn't work out because they're too far away so I see them both but uh, today she came in she had fallen down in California and had a really bad uh, avulsion type laceration of her elbow and black and blue and and feeling um, uh, but still feeling good she has a great attitude a can-do attitude uh, I think she's motivated by the horses because she's, though she's born in 32, getting fairly old, she still likes to 
ride her horse. And so try to fix her up. I'm glad she didn't break her elbow. She, uh, we cut off the bandage and checked out the wound. It doesn't appear to be infected. She's got quite a bit of swelling around her elbow, but the, uh, I'm quite sure it's not uh, broken. I don't think we need to x-ray it, so I didn't. And she can take care of herself now. She'll change the bandage again in a few days and probably go to band-aids. And then as long as things are healing well, I said if it's getting worse or more pain or decreased range of motion or any problems, to come back and see me. She's uh, not only a patient, but a friend of mine, and I'm glad that they haven't, that the clinic I work for is still allowing me to see regular Medicare patients, or I would lose a lot of these uh, elderly people I've been taking care of for so long. So that's all well and good. And the last uh, patient we're going to talk about today is uh, TM, a lady that I've been taking care of also for a long time. This lady actually hasn't been in to see me for over a year, but she should have. Her weight is down to 86 pounds. She has severe COPD, uh, no appetite, still smokes a little bit, uh, not on ox oxygen, she just doesn't want to do that. And uh, she wears herself out being a 24-7 caregiver for her husband. I can't quite remember what he has, but I advised her last year that it was too much for her and she was undernourished. Now she's having a lot of muscular neuroskeletal symptoms such as tremors, a weakness of the muscles, just uh, no actual shrinkage of the muscles, but her whole body of course is shrunken. She's just a littlest thing and has the classic look of a long-term smoking person with COPD and osteoporosis and very underweight and in spite of knowing all this, she will not stop smoking, nor will she uh, intake enough food to pick up her, her strength. She seems to be of normal intelligence, and when I talk to her about it and ask her the appropriate questions, she seems to understand, but in reality, she seems not to be able to do it, and she has no children, and no one looks after her, and I... Uh, her husband uh, continues to be, I think, rather demanding on her. <clears throat> so we discussed uh, her options. Certainly she needs to be eating, and I don't think she will ever be able to start doing that, however, nor will she ever quit smoking. I don't think she will. And uh, nor will she do the difficult moves it would take to unload herself of this tremendous stress that she's under. Uh, like last year, I've advised her again that when she gets so worn down and malnourished that she ends up in the hospital, what's going to happen to her husband? And of course, uh, he's going to end up in a nursing home. Uh, but uh, she is not willing to make the moves toward putting him there. And he obviously uh, does, uh, I'm not sure if he just doesn't care for her, why he would let her run herself down into the ground like that. Or, of course, I'm not privy to their relationship and what's going on, but the facts are that she is sinking and uh, things will come to a head uh, pretty soon. There's nobody I can really refer her to that can add more to this. I wish there were. But I like her a lot. She's a sweet person and I know she wants to do better. But this is a case in someone who is just in a social situation and a uh, smoking addiction situation that is just um, running its course and it's not pretty and I'm 
advised her to come back in a couple of months to touch bases. Last time, as I said, she she didn't come in for a year. Not that I didn't make her an appointment, she just didn't come. We there have a few patients that I saw uh, today, and I'm adding this as part of my podcast because I know it's interesting to people to know what happens. You know, it's life stories, it's human interest things. It does emphasize why I like being a doctor, trying to help people answer their questions again, what's the problem, what can be done about it, making sure they're on the right medications, making sure that they can afford their medications, reviewing with them what specialists they're seeing and ascertaining what the plan is, and just generally uh, being the primary doctor for these people. So we might do some of this again later, but uh, I have a lot of other issues to bring up in forthcoming podcasts.